This hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here. Thoroughly appreciate it. And if you don't know, we are celebrating our second week of the There It Is newsletter. If you don't know about it, you should check us out on Twitter and Facebook at There It Is Pod. We've been talking about it there. We talk about it also at length in last week's episode. So check out last week's episode after you check out this fun episode we have for you today. More on today's episode in a sec, but right this very sec, let's talk some more about this newsletter. So the newsletter was created for comedians to help make life pursuing comedy a little easier. We have a bunch of tips on comedy, health, and life, and other things that we find edifying that we think will help you. So check it out. Again, link in bio. And for the first eight weeks of this newsletter, so we're in week two now, we are giving away a book a week. And you can be the lucky winner. All you have to do to enter for a chance to win is subscribe to the newsletter. All right, today's episode is with a good pal of ours, Aaron Gold. He's an improviser and actor here in New York City. All-around great dude. We have a really awesome conversation. So let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Aaron Gold. Thanks so much for being here, for thank, doing the interview. Thank you for me. Uh, I am here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, how long have we known each other? I feel like I, I've known about you for... a a while longer, maybe. Yeah, and I feel like I've known about you in ways that I didn't realize I knew about you. <laughs> like, I knew about this podcast. Oh, yeah. And, like, uh, Michael Serpy was telling me uh, how he had uh, been yeah. a, a fan of this podcast and then realized, like, well, oh, oh, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a couple of months of officially knowing each other, and it was, like, two weeks ago that he found out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that was real funny to me, but I also really appreciate that he listens. That happened with uh, one other person who was like, like, oh hey Jason, and that, this is how we met. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh hey Jason, uh, I listen to your podcast, and I know these people from South Carolina, and I was like, what the heck? <laughs> well, if we're if we're doing uh, connections, uh, I was listening to a couple episodes of your podcast, um, and I wanted to listen to one uh, featuring somebody that. I knew a little bit, but I didn't really know. Uh-huh. So I chose Lisa Betancourt because she and I went to high school together. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, we like we did. Wow. We knew each other. We never really hung out. Uh-huh. We were like in adjacent groups, but mm-hmm. like I was like, oh yeah, this is a person I've known for over like maybe fifteen years now. Wow. I don't know anything about her. That's super funny. Yeah. And then also like she went to college with with Robin McNamara. Oh, right. And that's how they met. So this is another funny connection that Lisa is having with people. This is just an incestuous <laughs> That's all this podcast is, yeah. is people who know Lisa Bedford. <laughs> um, no, that's wild, man. Uh, that's, that's, that's cool, though. Um, I've always known... Um, know, like, you have a real presence on stage. Oh, thank uh, you. And a booming voice. And uh, you could tell that you're trained. Or at least it seems that you're trained. What is your background in 
performing and acting? Uh, so I, I wasn't really interested in uh, performing or anything like acting when I was a kid. <laughs> I, I wanted to be a pro wrestler. Uh huh. And then so that's I, where the booming voice. So that probably come from. I think I was just born this way. <laughs> uh, uh, there are times I'll be doing voiceover auditions, and someone will be like, "Can you just say it more natural?" I'm like, "This is natural for me." <laughs> uh, I have that issue too. Growing up, just watching so much like TV and and broadcasters and listening to so much radio. Because you're a fellow gravitas guy, right? Right. Like both of us, we're deep down in that <laughs> register, right? And I—that's one of the notes. Like, just be real, like uh, conversational. I was like, but this is how this I is have me conversation. conversational. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then, like, you turn a camera on, and I think just something else happens in our brains when it's like, oh, I also know I'm in front of a camera, and know that I'm supposed to be a little more like yes. this. Um, and it's kind of annoying sometimes when I'm trying to just like be the casual guy. <laughs> It really is, especially because, like, I don't know, I, I feel I'm very expressive. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at hiding my emotions, so a lot of times, if I'm just, like, mildly annoyed at something, <laughs> it could come across like, oh, don't mess with Aaron today. Right, right, like, right. Well, you're warm. tall, you have in the gravitas voice. Yeah, That's yeah. true. I'm, I get I'm that with guy. my gravitas voice as yeah. well, of, like, all I have to do is have a... I don't even have a stern look at my face. It's more like my thinking face. and Or I'm just passionate about whatever I'm talking about. But I'm not mad and I'm not angry. You're uh, also a big guy too, right? How tall are you? Six. Yeah, I'm 6'2". Yeah. I'm six two. yeah. Um, how old were you when you realized, oh, if someone smaller than me is sitting down having a conversation with me, <laughs> I either need to be sitting down too or got to be with that, like... Further than four feet away. Because <laughs> uh, a day years old. No. <laughs> no, but honestly, um, I was in my 20s when I first got wind of that. Because I just yeah. never thought of it. It was just like, I'm my height, you know? And like, I certainly don't feel like an alpha male or the, the you know, I'm not the alpha in the room, I feel like, anytime. And so I'm the youngest of all in my family, you know, like my cousins and, and my brother, like I'm the youngest. So I have that sort of vibe, the younger brother thing. The bloodline ends with you. Right. right, right. But that's just like my mindset. And I was working with someone who is very challenging to work with. And she was like super short, you know, like five Mm -hmm. feet tall or something. And uh, I was talking to her once and we were both standing, but she being so tiny. I wasn't even yelling at her. I was just like, hey, you know, when you do this, it kind of is a, this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And my uh, boss, who was female, was saying, uh, yeah, well, Jason, like, she was uncomfortable in that situation. Not like mad uncomfortable, just like no, felt no, no, mad uncomfortable. Like, yeah. she just felt real guilty I and been... was like worried about it. And so, I, like, my boss was like, you know, Jason, you don't understand. Like, you're tall, you're good looking. And that's what's making her nervous. I got the exact same situation and talk when uh, I had an office job in my early 20s. Except they didn't throw in the good-looking part. So I feel like you, like, I don't know, you this had a was, nicer boss. This boss was a good friend for years before. Okay. So she, and she's always like... Oh, so she could have been lying to you. Yes. Okay, great. Good to she, know. She was so, someone who just, like, 
always says encouraging things. <laughs> and so that could have just been the sugar she was using to like say like, well, you're way taller than her. Yeah. And so just when you're talking to her and you're looking down, physically, you are looking down to her. Yeah. That it's, you know, she got, un- she's uncomfortable just sounds too strong of a word. You know, she felt that guilt and uh, was nervous in the situation. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I never thought of that before because why would you? Right. I, Unless, I, like, I have a friend who's 6'8", <laughs> but it's just one friend. You know yeah. what I mean? If everyone was taller than me, like that much taller than me, because like I would us, we don't, it a lot longer. <laughs> we don't see each other. Like I'm 6'2". I'm not like gigantic, but mm-hmm. like I don't see myself as tall. I see myself as normal and everybody else as, you know, slightly some, some, similar yeah. to normal. Uh, and like, yeah, like it wouldn't occur to us that, yeah. yeah. So now whenever I'm getting into uh, a disagreement with anybody, especially someone shorter than me, I try to do it sitting down. Yeah. It's a good... I mean, that was also something a friend of mine who had taken a lot of, like, leadership classes was talking about. And Mm -hmm. she she was a nurse. And she brought that up with me, like, three years ago. She was like, when you were talking about this, were you standing? And I was like... Uh, I might have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was like, yeah, you know, like, that's something you got to think about. Yeah. <laughs> Look at us being woke. <laughs> we did it. We, we saved it. men. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing about it is, though, like, when it comes to uh, this sort of thing of, like, just being consciously aware, mm. it can feel a little, like... Uh, not antithetical to who I am, but it's just like, but it's still just me. Disingenuine? Goofy. Maybe, but it's just yeah. sort of like, I don't want to, I, 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 there are a lot of people who are trying, in, in a good way, trying really hard to be considerate and be woke mm-hmm. and uh, be aware of, of how they can impact other people. But to a certain extent, sometimes they can sound pretentious. Yes. Like if they say, like, well, I have a platform. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, you have a large Twitter following. Like, why are you calling that a platform? Like, why? Like, there are people, I've seen people who have 100,000 followers or more yeah. who have, like, criticized anyone who brings up, like, your platform. And I've seen people embrace it in a way that feels like it's more about ego. Oh yeah, it feels very like the the entire the entire idea of uh, uh, the title of your job is influencer. <laughs> oh, like God, I can't that. It, that sounds so ego. I feel like there's a lot of ego bred into uh, just even even the titles of uh, the way we talk about the entertainment industry yeah. on set. You're if you're an actor, you're not referred to as actor. You're referred to as talent, talent. <laughs> which is so fucking stupid. Like I don't know. Every, am I literally, literally here, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Literally, like, everyone on that set is has talent. so much talent. I don't know how to <laughs> light a fucking set. I don't know how. Yeah. To, I That's don't know what gaffing is. <laughs> like, I don't. I can't direct this. Yeah, I don't know anything about lens. I have no, not that talent. Yeah. Why am I? It's just stupid. Yeah. No, I'm totally with you on that. And yeah. it is. And it's. I think it's all because uh, somebody, the egos of the 50s or whatever, yeah, and and people just saying like, oh, okay, we need to uh, you know treat them special or whatever, just so they'll continue to do our picture. And a lot of that truly toxic stuff 
became the norm. Yeah. And people don't even think about it now. And no, the power dynamics that have been built into like every fucking per level of our culture mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Of, of the of the oh better protect mine otherwise someone else will get it yeah which is just that so too dumb. and the, the flip side of it i was listening to dak shepherd's podcast armchair expert have you ever listened to that uh, i believe so I'm uh, listen, I'm, listen man it's hard to discern through all the dax content so many um, that made me sound like I don't like Dak Shepard. I think if him and Kristen Bell ever break up, uh, I don't know if there's any hope for any of us. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's them and uh, uh, Megan Mullally and, uh, oh, and uh, Nick, Nick Offerman. Offerman. They, yeah. are, they are the cornerstones <laughs> of, of what love looks like to me. <laughs> well, his podcast, he was talking to, he was talking to Bill Hader about that this thing of just like being on the set and being treated a certain way and the flip side of what we were just saying is that there also there's someone who like has to follow around mm -hmm. the actor and sometimes the director uh just to make sure they're okay and they have to like be in their little walkie talkie yeah. saying like oh they're you know they're they're walking to set and they're saying how much they hate that <laughs> And and but they also realized that the reason it happened was because people have walked off sets and then disappeared and didn't you know they needed to film the rest of the day and, and threw off the whole could, schedule right right yeah but it was still just that this feeling of them was just like gosh they're treating me like I'm a baby mm -hmm. but that's because so many actors of yesteryear were babies and so they many actors of today are babies so many actors of today are so babies. many people of today so are many babies. People today are babies. The president's a baby. Yeah. That's fun. That's oh, a new gosh. one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much of it is it's like when he starts like, I, I think it's so interesting that there are people who aren't turned off by certain things with him because I, like, it's one thing that they agree with the like misogyny or xenophobia or whatever. Yeah. Um, but when he starts acting like he's some sort of victim, yeah. And it's like, you have, you are, you claim to be a billionaire. Who knows how much he actually has, but he can at least live like he is because he claims that he is. And uh, he, he got so much handed to him on a silver platter, and he's the president. Like, what do you have to complain and whine about? And it just seems like any other president, if they whined, yeah. Then they any literally any if Reagan whined about anything, I feel like people would wouldn't like like Republicans wouldn't like him as much. If Clinton I, uh, whined, if anybody whined, they would have been massacred. I don't trust anybody who, whenever they're telling the story, they are always the victim. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I can't ever when you you are relentlessly. The victim in in any situation, then I think your perspective is a little askew. Yeah. Uh, who was? Yeah, I think it was my seventh grade English teacher, uh, Mr. Bosnick, who broke it down that every story has three roles: hero, victim, villain, mm -hmm. and you can be multiple of those. But it, it always, uh, it, it, ever since I heard him say that sentence, I've always process the way people talk to me in uh, different ways oh yeah and like you know I, I totally agree and that's certainly not to say like we can't complain about things. of course we can, not of course complain about course. things and they're not to say that there aren't and actual there are victims, victims yeah. in the world 
But when everything you're a victim of something, it's like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Empower yourself a little bit here. Exactly. <laughs> you don't I, have to be a victim all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, know, like, I, all of this said with, like, just a whole big shaker of salt. <laughs> with just, you know, like, big asterisk, certain situations <laughs> apply, Absolutely. certain situations yeah. do not, obviously. Yeah. And, like, you know, in our, like, we're both actors, we're both seeking acting work and, and, and performance, uh, mm-hmm. you know, performing in the comedy world. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, rejection that we have to deal with and a lot of uncertainty that's scary. So I'm sure that can trigger people acting like babies sometimes. It's, uh, but it's still, you know. It's interesting. Like, uh, this brings up. So I, I've been auditioning for a long time mm-hmm. and have uh, years enough for me to now kind of be desensitized to it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, most auditions, not all, but most I don't stress over. Yeah. Um, and once I've left the room, I stop thinking about it me because too. otherwise you go crazy. Exactly. Yeah. And then your agent calls and goes like, hey, you booked it. You're like, great. What did I book? And like, <laughs> no, so many times. remind me what that thing was? <laughs> All right, cool. I'll go check with the email. Oh, yeah, this. That, that was fun. Great. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's, um, so, it's such an interesting thing to go through. But I've been talking. I, I, I have a day job and I work with a lot of uh, people that aren't, you know, pursuing acting as mm-hmm. much. And uh, if I come back from a break where I went on an audition, they'll be like, how did it go? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I stopped thinking about it. Like, <laughs> right. And that can, and I'm not trying to be pretentious. I'm trying to like, just protect my brain. Yeah. Your heart cannot handle absorbing all of it. Yeah. Because you're, it's you're too not going to hear back from every submission. And you're I not going to sub- hear back from 90 exactly percent of them right yeah like for like all these submissions you know like you're not going to hear back and then when you go and you audition like i've had auditions where i walked out was like well i blew that and i booked it mm-hmm. and i've had auditions where i was like that felt good and yeah. i didn't book it and that happened a lot more <laughs> oh man i can't i cannot let that st- i can't absorb every emotion invested in all of those moments because there's no way to predict it no you could you could yeah. have been an inch too tall you your, your mm-hmm. hair could have been too light yeah. you could have you could remind them mind. yeah you could remind them of somebody they used to date there's right. like there's right. no way to predict it all you can <laughs> exactly. do is just feel proud of the thing you left in the room and mm-hmm. then leave absolutely uh, i don't get like excited uh too often about auditions but i just uh, did a self-submit voiceover audition for a new Netflix cartoon. Oh, cool. And, like, I found, my, I feel myself getting excited about this one. <laughs> and I've already got to, like, tell myself, hey, statistically, no. Yeah. But, it's, I don't know. And, like, I, I, after I submitted it, I can already think of a couple of things I would have done differently. Mm-hmm. But now I've got to just acknowledge that thought. Right. And just take it as a lesson learned for the next time and let this go because it's done. Yeah. A professor of mine in college, an acting professor, Jeannie Woods, said that uh, like when you leave after you, a play is done, mm-hmm. when you leave, step off the stage, you're always going to think of a better way to have done it. Well, 100 oh <laughs> That's the most annoying thing about it. But I'm so glad I heard that in college yeah. and not at 30. Because it saved me so much heartache mm-hmm. to be like, yeah, I was told this was going to happen. 
uh, you know, yeah, I, I could have delivered. I should have thought of that. Yeah. I couldn't get too deep into that sort of thought of like, ah, you know, I missed it. You just have to let it go. You just have to let it go. You asked me what got me into uh, performing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I tried improv out mm-hmm. uh, when I was uh, like a kid and was immediately like, oh, this is the best. Oh, cool. And then did a little bit of acting, flubbed a line once on stage in eighth grade. Uh, no, sorry. Flubbed an entrance. <laughs> uh, and the people on stage just kind of had a loop dialogue. And I was like, oh, God. It was like an old-timey Western Tennessee Williams-like play. And I just came in uh, out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, sorry, guys. It was cold. There's balls outside. <laughs> Guess what? Those weren't the lines. Uh, and I was so embarrassed that I swore off acting forever. Oh, wow. And it wasn't until I started doing more improv that I started going like... Yeah, it, it became when you walk off the stage of an improv show whether it was the best show of your life or the worst one it's gone it's mm-hmm. done and mm-hmm. that's so freeing it that is. it just like it doesn't matter <laughs> it's done and we had fun. that translated to done. auditioning yeah, yeah. yeah it, it helped uh, improv has helped my auditioning a lot oh god yes so many times I booked things because I was able to be loose in the moment and take whatever direction they gave me or ad lib lines yeah uh, helped so much and I think like being able to do that in the commercials and shoots that I've done has got me work later oh it's entirely because of, of improv Without improv, I don't think it would have gotten a, a good bit of the things I got. I got an agent because of improv. I'm pretty sure I booked. Pretty sure every single thing I booked, I, I mm-hmm. booked in some way, shape, or form because of improv. You're there's this really great commercial you were in, and I forget who it was for, but it's, um, it's like you open a pantry. Oh and yeah, a bunch of like uh, towels. Box.com. Box.com. Yeah, you're real solid in that commercial because you're a real good physical act. Maybe that's more of the like professional wrestler influence. <laughs> They're incredible physical actors. Um, but uh, like you know, you have some lines in that. But so much of what's so good is just like how you use your body, and that's one of the things I heard. Um, Steve Martin say about Jim Carrey in the 90s oh, wow. about why Jim Carrey is so good is because he uses his whole body to act and I, that stuck with me ever since so when I I try to do it and when I see other people do it I'm like yeah that person's good oh. and you totally did it man well thank you very much uh, yeah I remember that that, uh, that commercial's fun mm-hmm. I got hit in the balls with paper towels <laughs> multiple times um yeah, that uh, uh, I remember that audition, mm-hmm. and it was just like you know the guy kind of doesn't react. Uh-huh. Was in the script, so I wanted to like <laughs> do as much as I could with not you were, reacting. Like, you were pointing and looking like, are you yeah. seeing this lady? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to just communicate as much as I could because I knew that everybody else that auditioned for that was going to be doing the deadpan thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, whenever I'm looking at an audition <laughs> script and like I can see where the joke is uh-huh. or I can see where the obvious joke is, I'll, I'll, I'll often throw out that first idea and uh-huh. try to see the second one That's... just so I can go a level deeper to make me stand out in a different way. That's a really smart idea. It's a really smart idea. Oh, thank you. Yeah. 
I'm going to use that now. Oh, fuck. There goes my career. <laughs> that yeah, happen. man. Well, I don't know that we're up for the same roles. <laughs> I don't know. I could say young, goofy dad. <laughs> well, you know, nowadays it is like all ethnicities submit for this. So True. It's not 10 years ago where they want a specific race. I love now going into an audition <laughs> and, and like, no one looks like, you know. Or, or it's to the point where like. I recognize so many. We know each other now yeah. because we're all called into the same. Like, hey, Jude. Hey, Kevin. Hey, guys. How are you? Let's get caught up now that we're seeing each other this week. Like, we don't have to plan to hang out because we know we'll run into each other. I know, yeah. yeah. You have to be nice to the other people in the audition room. Oh, yeah. And I don't mean, like, that in a phony way. I just mean, like... You have no idea that you might be working with these people. Huh. <laughs> you know, like don't don't treat everyone as competition. Except which look, a lot of people do. Life's hard enough. Yeah, I know. Let's just not be dicks to each other. Like I feel like just being nice and honest with everyone is like playing life on easy mode. Yeah. Because yeah. the nicer you are to everyone else, the nicer they will generally be to you. And there's no way you can accomplish every single thing that you want in life on your own. You mm -hmm. need other people. So the nicer right. you are to them and the nicer they are to you, the easier it will be for you to accomplish everything that you're going for. Yep. Just it's basic logic. Yeah. yeah. Just be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes life a whole lot easier. I used to say something when I was a teenager, and I still believe this, but I started saying it when I was pretty young, that if everybody just um, showed basic common decency, <laughs> the world would be a better place. Oh yeah, you know, just basic common decency. Or, or if you don't everyone have to go way to be nice. took like an empathy course. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like empathy is like the most. Uh, it's the most out of use virtue, like underused is what all I mean. Maybe, yeah. Because like know. you think it, about it, there, there, there have been times when I was feeling just I was just in a headspace of just being particularly sympathetic. Yeah. And if someone did something being a dick, my immediate reaction wasn't to like curse them. It was to think, oh, they must be having a tough day. They yeah. They're having a tough day. <laughs> and that's been a couple of times in my life. Most of the time, I'm like anybody else, where I'm like, fuck. <laughs> you know, like so angry, turn into a monster, you yeah. know? And it's like, this is some random person on the street, and I don't need this energy in me right now. And here I am using, you know, yeah. like, I, they're probably just having a bad day, just like I'm having a bad day. You know? if, like, I, if I'm like in a centered place, I'm like, if I'm not having like a rough day or, mm -hmm. or, or a depressed or anxious day or something, and someone's just being shitty to me, mm -hmm. I oftentimes can't help but just laugh. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, we're doing this. Oh, yeah. okay, we're having one of these. <laughs> All right, well, you, I don't have anything against you, but you let it out, slugger. Yeah. Like, the funniest, though, is when you're driving and there's somebody in another car and they... Because everyone, when they're in their car, they feel like they can't be seen. Mm -hmm. So they might start, like, get real animated with their agitation. And it's like, no, they're, those walls around your glass. Yeah. <laughs> I can see you. And they'll, they'll get so angry, like, you know try to yell at me and stare and I'm like your windows are rolled up I can't hear you yeah. and it's so funny looking that I just laugh and this is like I don't even get mad that they're mad at me and yelling <laughs> at me and I'm like I didn't do anything wrong and they shouldn't be mad at me I'm not even going there I'm just like laughing at how ridiculous they look <laughs> oh gosh I've seen the corniest stuff just like looking in the rear view or just like glancing over at the window next time I'm riding in a car and I see someone do that I want to just like lock eye contact with them and <laughs> 
maybe just like do a big over the top wink. <laughs> or like we or like a really point. flirty one like ooh we're getting saucy together mm. um, you mentioned a little bit ago that when you were a teen you took some improv classes where did you take those classes um so uh, where are you from what I'm originally from Northern Virginia. Okay. Uh, but Is that then, where you took the classes? No. Uh, I got the fuck out of there when I was uh, 14. Uh, moved to Binghamton, New York, oh. um, where I went to high school and college. And uh, it was in drama class there. I started oh, nice. doing improv. Like, I, I would... I had already already started to fall in love with comedy, watching mm-hmm. Kids in the Hall reruns and <laughs> Whose Lines It Anyway and stuff. Um, and... Uh, when we started doing improv in class, I was like, oh, this is, that's, you don't have to be on TV. You can just do this. Yeah. And like, I, I was taken away. And then wherever I could find an improv thing as a kid, I'd, I'd try and take that class. <laughs> or if there wasn't anything, because I lived in upstate New York right. in like, you know, the <laughs> early aughts. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd form a group with my funny friends and we'd like do improv together or write sketches together. We didn't know what we were doing, but mm-hmm. like it was just something I had to, I, it was the most fun thing in the world. I had to keep doing it, mm-hmm. you know? And it wasn't until I turned uh, like 16 that I got, you know, I, I think I've been telling jokes all my life. Yeah. And like then at 16, I got funny finally. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how long have you been doing stuff at Magnet? Um, I started doing stuff at Magnet 2009. Oh, wow. So, oh, yeah, it's been about been a, uh, almost a decade now. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, the five-year anniversary show of uh, You Are Not Alone yeah, is coming so, up, which uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. didn't even realize it was until I was like, what do we start this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so this is one of the things I want to talk about because I knew that you were not alone mm-hmm. was five years old. So it's like, well, obviously, he's been here longer than that. Um, so you were not alone for the listeners is an improv show that you started that is about depression. Uh, yeah, I co-started it with a guy named Grant Michael Goldberg, mm-hmm. who uh, moved to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, we built it together, uh, and now I run it with uh, I run it with some other people like Katie Mordhorst, mm-hmm. uh, and now I'm running it with Michael Serpy, who mm-hmm. is uh, a dear, dear friend of mine yeah. from college. Uh, oh, I didn't know y'all met in college. We That's met cool. freshman year auditioning for the same improv team. Oh, that is fun. Yeah. We, uh, one of us, uh, made a Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie reference. And you're like... And the other one completed it, and we were just like, all right, oh, nice. so this is a friendship now. Yeah, we're... we're yeah. <laughs> Cut uh, from the same <laughs> Yeah, for, exactly. <laughs> um, the show got born out of, uh, uh, I was going through, I dealt with depression and anxiety on and off throughout my life, and, uh, I was going through a period where I was depressed and didn't feel comfortable telling anyone about it. Mm. And eventually I just got really frustrated that I couldn't. So I started, uh, when I had the strength, when I was in a downswing, I'd just start recording and say, this is what it was like, mm-hmm. and just kind of talk about my moods, and I'd post those videos online. Mm-hmm. And Grant saw that, and it was like, I want to do a show with you, and together we formed it. Um, yeah, so people read essays or poetry or comedy or something related to mental illness Mm -hmm. I'll never tell anyone you're not depressed enough to do our show Uh, (laughs) if you think you count you count great (laughs) 
uh, and then that inspires irreverent improv. Yeah, it, so it's it's very similar to the Armando Diaz. Oh yeah, it's one hundred percent. We're doing an Armando, <laughs> but it's uh, you know a few different people as opposed to one monologist, mm-hmm. and it's it's specific to a something already. Uh, they already have decided they're going to talk about. Yes, and um, also the the other thing that we had in mind when we wanted to start the show was that we wanted to give stage time to people that didn't always get it. Oh, cool. So we've got a core cast, and we always have uh, guest improvisers every uh, show. We mm-hmm. try to get mm-hmm. like a couple seasoned people in there, and also a couple people that don't always get a shot because. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, myself and the yeah. person that uh, started the show, neither of us had, had ever been on a house team. Yeah. Uh, and so it kind of like was important to us to, to try and give that to other people too. That's cool. Yeah. I think that's a, uh, there's a lot of really good like heart behind the show. Oh, thank you. And um, the last one that I was at was uh, really like really truly inspiring like all three of the monologists did an incredible job and just left me thinking about a lot uh walking away from it and then the comedy from it was also really good and you know you've been doing this five years so uh i obviously it's developed over time but that's got to be tricky to derive comedy from something that is depressing and I know people can say easily like well the Daily Show is talking about news items and those news items can be depressing um, in an indirect way yes they can yeah but these are directly depressing because they are literally about depression and, and mental illness so how do you um, approach that in such a way that it's not going to be something that's going to offend the monologist, but then also uses what they used, and not in a cheap way where it's just like, oh, they mis- mentioned biscuits, so I'll yeah. just make this about McDonald's biscuits or something. You know, like you don't you you use what they said thoroughly with without uh, cheapening what they talked about. I'm so glad you phrased it that way. <laughs> I'll get to why in a second. Uh, yeah, it took a lot of trial and error for us to find out the right ways to get in scenes inspired by by these things. Rule number one we learned was like we are never reenacting anything that they say. Uh, like good rule. that's the, we we let the essays and monologues talk about depression and they get to go to that space. The improv is just going to be improv. It's just going to be comedy. Uh, you take one thing that you heard, whether it's a turn of phrase whether it's a certain image that was evoked in your mind, whether the audience reacted in an odd way to something that the, the person said. Um, honestly, you said like, you know, well, they said the word biscuits. Yeah, dude, we will take, like, I, I'll tell the improvisers right before every show, I don't give a fuck if the audience doesn't know where you got that from. Right, that's because, a good Armando Diaz approach yeah. as well. Yeah. And the point of the improv now is to break that tension that we created with the, yeah, the thing. Yeah, okay. And what's so satisfying, I think magical, about doing the improv right after someone's just bared their soul yeah. is that tension is in the air, but everybody 
he wants it broken and not from a place of oh this is awkward but all from a point of like we all want to know it's okay to laugh again Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think that's so beautiful and pure and I love the challenge of being in the first scene right after an essay (laughs) because if you can get the audience to really laugh during that scene you know that you've fucking nailed it and you know it's really uh, it matches what comedy is in itself I mean uh, there's like some Frou uh, frou book I read about comedy and like why people laugh and it's all about like creating tension and relieving tension. Yeah, and that's essentially what this show is. is pattern, 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 break the pattern. Right, yeah. and and yeah, those stories do create a lot of tension of like, oh man, you know that was really tough. But the good thing about it is, um, well, I don't mean to word it that way. Um, another good thing about this that <laughs> no 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 tell me the one good thing I've done in my life one good thing about <laughs> this one this this whole show no um, the thing about an Armando is that if someone does if it's like a typical Armando Diaz show and someone gets into something that's sad for people mm-hmm. uh, it's not a good kind of tension it's an uncomfortable tension because they weren't expecting it yeah and the great thing about your show is that you guys are up front it's like this show's about depression yes so everyone there is like I need this you know or I, I get it you know I'm yeah. here for this and so when that spilled right into the built, title you're right. not alone <laughs> you're not alone an uplifting show about depression you know like it's it's there for people uh, and so when that tension is built it's built on how powerful the monologue was and not the surprise of, oh, that got real and I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Um, so and don't get me wrong, like, there have definitely been essays <laughs> that have been... I love... Like, I've, I've done maybe four or five essays over the years, mm-hmm. um, and I've definitely pulled one of those or two in the essay, and I love it. I love when somebody... <laughs> I love when someone will, in any piece of art do the one reveal the prestige and uh-huh. it turns out oh shit it was this the whole time yeah I am such a sucker for that um, but people I think they know that that unexpected surprise can happen at least yeah with a show that's about depression yeah and it's gonna be safe like this exactly. is exactly yeah uh, another lesson that we learned early on is that nobody can read somebody else's stories we tried once mm. and it way didn't work mm. like so I think just by virtue of the monologist telling their own story mm-hmm. their way, yeah, it, it there's this implied, hey, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. I'm sharing this with all of you. We're right. all okay. Right. We're all here. Let's just enjoy the show. Right. And like I, I work with the essayists to make them show ready. Like mm-hmm. there there are a few uh, things that we do uh, to make sure that they don't. If they do go dark mm-hmm. or too dark, they can still come back up so that we can do comedy afterwards. <laughs> right. It is a comedy show first and foremost. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Well, that it's, it's a really great show. Is there anything online that people who don't live in New York can check out about the show? Absolutely. You can go to yanacomedy.com, mm-hmm. uh, and I believe that will take you immediately to our Facebook because we're still working on the website but um, over the next uh, several weeks uh, we've had several shows and essayists and uh, 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 just a bunch 
filmed and we are now putting all of them online. Cool. Uh, so starting very soon, pretty much every episode, uh, pretty much every show or pretty much every essayist uh, starting a couple months ago. Uh, as long as the SAS gives us permission to post the right, video, you know, right. uh, will be online. When it comes to the, um, like, I know that you you can use kind of anything that's in there, but I have seen you all use one of the more depressing aspects of a monologue, and like I said, still use it tenderly and, and respectfully, but get a, g- a great comedic scene out of it. What sort of advice would you give someone who's Doing a show. Could you give me an example of, of oh, what gosh. you remember like that? Because uh, that's the other, that's the bittersweet thing about improv. I know. I don't remember anything. That's I've my ever thing. Done. I've seen <laughs> and done shows since seeing that show that now yeah. it's kind of out of my brain. Um, well, t- okay. Okay, no, no, no. Oh. A good one was a former guest, yeah. Shannon Kerwick, it was on, and her... Phenomenal. Oh, oh my gosh. She had me thinking about so much stuff. I I, I could watch Shannon Kerwick read a phone book and yeah. it would probably be very, very funny. Yeah. Or sing a phone book and it would sound really good. That would be even better. I don't know why. I just discounted one of her talents immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I, we adore Shannon. Yeah. She's, she's fantastic. And if you don't, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Um, or jealous, but still wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, her story about the family dynamic that was going on, you all used really well. And that was one of the more heartbreaking things about her monologue. Because everybody has family and has some disappointments with their family. Yeah. In some way, large and small. And so that was so relatable and hit everybody. And you all were still able to mine it for comedy um, how would one address something that that sensitive? Um, I think well, one thing we try to stress before every show when we're going over like the rundown of like, hey guys, here, keep these in mind, keep these tips and tricks in mind, is that we're never ever ever making fun of what the essay has said. Mm-hmm. We're making fun with them, like mm-hmm. it's it's. Uh, not recreating the situation to show how dumb somebody was. Right. It's making that situation taking the weird thing about it and mm-hmm. removing all the personal. Right. And like letting us fill in the personal with other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is truly like, this is not about her. Right. But hey, wouldn't it be weird if this did happen? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, also just the fact that the core cast which are made up of some of my favorite improvisers in the world, mm-hmm. are also including uh, one Justina Sparling. Yeah, girlfriend who, of, the, of the podcast. Oh, name drop. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, uh, are just so good at jumping on stage with nothing. <laughs> so there have been, I think, so many scenes that we've had where someone will have an idea that they pulled from a monologue, and maybe they'll get it out. But, like... We'll also focus on the other weird thing that the person receiving <laughs> did just because fuck it. Yeah. 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 It's like yes-anding a joke. Yeah. It seems like that's an approach that you all use as well, the tactic you also use, because sometimes they are making a joke. They mm-hmm. are making light of, you know, of a situation in a way. They'll, they'll make a joke, and you all sort of second-beat that joke that they made, which is yes. a good 
good thing to do because they also gave you permission to make a joke about that thing. And on top of that, like I feel like the the in the world, the jokes that will always get you to laugh the deepest, the hardest, are inside jokes. Mm-hmm. And watching an improv show is like a big inside, a big inside joke because you can't especially go and tell someone else stories, yeah. what you just saw. Right. Uh, and especially when it's off of, yeah, something so emotional. Right. Right. And that's I do really like the improv form of taking a monologue mm-hmm. and because it because of that reason you know it's like we all get on the same page pretty quickly yeah um it's like we heard that story we know what's going on we know what we laughed at oh and they thought it was funny too and now they're just like winking at us a little bit it's nice it's a nice thing where it's like uh when a, a herald there's not necessarily that like they're taking it takes some uh, equity to like build that you have to build with the audience yeah. before you get that sort of same reaction. And honestly, like I, I don't have as much fun doing a herald. Um, I've gone up and down with it myself. Yeah, I have the the most fun with like a slacker or a mono scene mm-hmm. where it's character driven. Yeah, me too. Where it's not relationship like, driven. Yeah, like, a lot more. Yeah, because I feel like that immediately gets to the meat of the scene so much no one cares what they're doing and care about how they feel about each other right and how they communicate that right right uh that's a very magnet philosophy i did the full uh ucb improv uh program a few years ago Mm -hmm. years ago bobby moynihan was my level one teacher oh my gosh yeah uh yeah so i'm old he's one of the most incredible people in improv and I was like, it, this is before he was known, but I, I was a big uh, Derek Comedy fan. And I, yeah, uh, he, I, in he walked in, I was like, it's the guy from Bro Rape. I was like, thinking that too, yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually started on Mitch and Bro Rape. Uh, and then I also did like the full Magnet improv mm-hmm. uh, program. And I remember being in like level two or three at UCB with them going like, all right, we're going to talk about game. Heads up, this is where everybody gets in their head. You're going to be in your head for a while. It's like, could be a year. It's fine. Happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course I did. <laughs> then I went through the levels of Magnet. And one day in like level two or three, Louis Kornfeld goes, oh yeah, this is game. And then moving on. And I was like, why didn't they just fucking do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny because like, I think people who maybe hear about Magnet but don't go to Magnet uh, might assume, oh, they're against game. No, not at all. We're not. You know, like, they just teach it differently yeah. and don't make it necessarily the focal point. Exactly. Like, I, I'm very grateful for everything I learned at UCB. I think it's a great school. I think Magnet's just, when it comes to improv, a better one. And especially if you're an actor, because you're not focused so much on structure of the scene. Oh, where's the funny thing? Where's the funny thing? It's just about reacting honestly. Right. It's like and a true form of acting. funny thing. Yeah. Uh, that's the funny exactly. thing will come. Don't worry about it. Right. And we're I all think- humans and we're all fucking weird. <laughs> and if we can just be honest with each other, the weird thing will come out. Yeah. And yeah. mistakes can be happening in any philosophy of improv. You 100%. know, like the, the mistake that uh, I can make with the magnet philosophy is like, not even trying to be funny at some point. Yeah. Which even someone who is uh, is like the intuitive type of teacher that Lewis Cornfield is, who's focusing on relationship, will still tell you to be funny. You know. Yeah. He'll still say like. I like funny. that you said it the way he said it. He's like, still tell you to be, be funny. Uh, yeah. uh-huh, I'm teaching uh-huh, you. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is his laugh. It's some comedy we're creating. So like, you know, you don't get off the hook just because you don't have to make. 
okay, where's the game? What's the game? Oh, yeah. 100%. And like, I, I felt so freed by the, I think the best improv shows always are done by the, by people that feel so comfortable enough with each other that they gotten to the point in their friendship where they can mess each up they can call each other out in public uh, <laughs> I will drop everything uh, we could be in the middle of a scene and if I say something wrong I know that any uh, if you are not alone we're doing a scene I'm going for my big point but if I say the wrong noun or verb some core cast member is going to jump on it and damn right they should that's the funny thing one of my favorite teams Arguably, I've said it's my favorite house team in the country, and I believe it is. But just in general, one of my favorite teams is Bodywork, and they do that stuff all the time. Oh yeah, you know, like, and it's all like very, you know, like they're all pals. You know, like yeah. it's like a family watching them, and they're so like connected with each other that even the person who made the mistake is like, let's all make this joke together. Yes, at let's my win. expense. <laughs> well, we've reached the end here. Okay. Um, Unfortunately, we could talk all day, but we both have things to do next. This is the truth. <laughs> so it's time to create something together. Okay. And I'm wondering what it can be. Uh, a few ideas come out. One is like maybe if someone wanted to create a show that was similar uh, to what You Are Not Alone is. And uh, I would absolutely sue them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't necessarily mean like uh, a show about depression. Bitch, I own that copyright. I'm coming for it. No, I'm... <laughs> no, but for real, like if uh, someone's like, you know, that's uh, that, that that idea comes from such a good place and I want to do something like that that comes from a good place for me, like how can I go about doing it? Like maybe we could talk that out or, I don't know, maybe it's even like, uh, I don't know, what what idea do you have? Um, well, first let me just say, if you uh, do live in a non-New York city, and you do want to, like, uh, uh, maybe bring a show like You Are Not Alone to yours, not only do we tour, but also, like, we have other branches around the country. It's, it's started to pop up. We've got, there's a You Are Not Alone that shows up in uh, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Working on an LA one right now. That's dope. Uh, yeah, I got good got, for you, man. Thank you very much. Um, and like honestly, I I just I think it's just important that that we do more to uh, just Address combat the stupid fucking stigma that affects most people. Yeah. Um, but anyway, to get back on, uh, yeah, if you want to create something out of if you want to create comedy out of a thing that you might not be able to create comedy out of. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's almost always a way. It's mm -hmm. just in terms of how you view it. Yeah. And also, like, I guess you have to find the relatability. To yeah. The find the relatability. Find the way the audience can get on board. Don't mm -hmm. try to, like, offend your audience. Try to make them agree with you and see, like, isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so much of what comedy is. It's like yeah. pointing at this thing is like, that's weird, right? We're on the same side. <laughs> Alright, we can do, we can create a, 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 a comedic mathematical formula for taking shit you can't joke about and, and turning it into thing, turning into good comedy. I guess one thing they say is tragedy plus time equals comedy. I, as somebody who uh, recently, and still is kind of going through some tragedy stuff, like, 
I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm weird. Yeah, it like, doesn't work for everything. I know. I'm like time was a non-factor. Like I, I not to bring it down. The beginning of the year, you know, we knew it was coming for a long time, and my mom passed peacefully. Mm. I was making jokes that day afterwards mm. because that's how I knew to process this. Mm-hmm. I could, mm-hmm. and I also knew that's what mom would prefer <laughs> uh, rather than just demo wallowing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, our loved ones don't want to see us sad. Yes. I think, you know what, that's what it is. No one wants to see anyone else hurt or sad. So if you're taking that thing that you are hurt by and you're making it into comedy, you've got to be the first one to show everyone it's okay. Mm. Uh, the the big moment that all changed for me in my life, uh, back when I was doing stand-up, I used to have a, a, a verbally abusive stepdad. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, mom kicked his ass to the curb years and years ago. Uh, but he would say horrible things to me. He'd you know, blame me for ruining dinner so loudly that kids at school the next day would be like, oh, Aaron, I heard you ruined dinner. Uh, th- this is not going to be that dark, trust me. No, no, no. Uh, but um, one of the best moments of my entire life uh, was when I decided to take that pain and own it mm-hmm. and start sharing it on stage because then it wasn't hurting me. It was right. me. One of the best moments of my life, uh, Leo and I were in the kitchen. Uh, Leo is the stepdad. Mm-hmm. And he turned to me apropos of nothing and said, you know, Aaron, if you were my real son, I'd kill myself. And without missing a beat, I said, can we pretend? <laughs> And it's the best comeback of my life. A 16-year-old saying this to a 55-year-old guy who writes the Mensa newsletter. And, like, sharing that story on stage made me feel so empowered and, like, a weight had been lifted off. So if it's a thing that's hurting you, you've got to be the one to turn that inside out and wear it as armor and Mm -hmm. let everybody know what you truly do find funny about it. And that's okay to laugh. Yeah. If you are if you are there, yeah, it's okay if you're not. And it also helps that someone will come up after you, like, man, me too. My stepdad sucks, or my dad sucks, or my mom, you know, whoever. It's like they do the same thing to me, and then now it's like, oh, it's out of me, yes, and, and it's out of them now, and now we can just like enjoy this shared experience of laughing at them. You Are Not Alone has been running for five years, which boggles my mind, but I don't think there's ever been a show where somebody did not come up to either one of the hosts or the essayists at the end and say, oh my God, thank you, I needed to hear that. Like, that's, I relate entirely. Like, it happens I, yeah. every every show. Yeah, I like, gave a speech at, uh, at a wedding because I was the best man and some random guy who wasn't in a, like, a, like a family member, I think he married him or something. <laughs> Who came up to me and did the same thing. Yeah. And it's just like, you just don't know who you can reach if you're just like, speaking from your heart. And we're all just wanting to connect. And yeah. just, yeah. we all just don't want to be alone. Yeah. And you're not alone. Yeah. There it is. There it is. Great. Thanks for being on here, man. Dude, thank you for having me. I hope you appreciated that. That was a really good chat for me. And if you want to know more about You Are Not Alone, you can check them out on Twitter and Facebook at Yana Comedy. That's Y-A-N-A Comedy. You can also follow Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at Hey, It's Aaron Gold. 
You can follow the podcast, of course, at There It Is Pod on both Twitter and Facebook. Links in bio. Also, you can go to Aaron-Gold.com and check out some stuff on Aaron Gold, the man himself. If you're in New York, you can go to You Are Not Alone at the Magnet Theater. It's up on the stage every first Thursday. And don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter. The link is in the bio. You can also do it on our website. There it is, pod.com. And you can enter for a chance to win one of the seven remaining books. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. Thank <laughs> you.